You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, PhD, and our feminism, pop culture, and politics as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be discussing the impact of social media on Gen Z, per a recently released book, iGen, by Jean Twenge. But first, Melody, hello, how are you? It's been a couple weeks. I'm doing great. Shop Local Month is over. All of our wonderful interviews have been completed and shared with the FKJ community. Mm-hmm. That was a fun month. It was really fun. I hope people, if they were in Minneapolis, I hope they went to some of those places. And if they weren't, I hope they order online or investigate or find places in their local communities that are similar. I'm otherwise doing fine. It's the end of the semester, so that's all I have to say about that. I'm looking forward to doing some holiday gift wrapping and crafting and enjoying some break. That's going to be my topic in therapy this week, how to not work (laughs) during break. Good. That's very good. Cool. Yeah. So that's about it. How are you doing? Same in terms of end of the semester stuff, which I think a, a large majority of our listeners know what that's like. We had a there was an assault on our campus, um, as you know about. Uh, a teacher got literally beat up brutally by a student, which was um, I, I didn't I don't know this faculty member personally, but um, obviously it was really scary and unsurprisingly it was a white dude, and so that was Shocking. a rough a rough way to have the last week of classes begin. But my students are all knock on wood really fabulous and so I feel lucky in that regard but yeah just a lot of grading coming up and just you know navigating those those feelings and then I'm about to embark on 10 days of travel first to St. Louis to see Logan's family and then to Cleveland to see my family Um, and I'm also teaching an online course winter session course which is going to be a lot of work so my I think I'm naturally a little bit better at taking a break than you are but I actually won't have the opportunity as much so so there's that because I'm Why teaching this online winter course. And I'm also, oh, I also have my witch residency it. coming up. So I'm also making a zine um, and also prepping for a brand new class that I've never taught before in the spring. So my winter break is going to be kind of busy. Yeah, I have to do a couple new syllabi. Not new syllabi. Well, one new syllabi that I've never taught. First year experience. I'm excited mm, for that. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Cool. But I had a follow-up question with you. How is the how is the vibe on campus after something like that? Pretty intense. I mean, well, okay. mm, I mean, uh, that's, that's sort of a mixed statement. In my classrooms, like we, we talked about it at the beginning of the class, um, another sort of dramatic thing to talk about with my students in addition to the the deaths that happened earlier this semester and the students were shook up I had a couple students who witnessed it um the the kid like the the student rather Mm. like ran through the halls and like interrupted a science lab and like you know there was like a full chase on and stuff and so some of the students witnessed that which is you know obviously also traumatic in its own way one student heard well, I'm not going to go into details because it. I don't want to continue to perpetuate the trauma. But it was there was an intense sort of standoff when the when the police came and da da da. So, you know, people are shaken up, and there's just tons of emails about the counselors on staff being available and just all the things that happen um, when a tragedy happens. And it's interesting being uh, at a community college. Well, I don't know if it's a community college. It's more so the union. So you you even got a, an email from the union as another professor in the state college system so the union's been sending emails the president of the campus has been sending emails who I like very much actually and then HR has been sending emails the counseling center's been so it's just like a lot of emails being like hey we're here we're here and then also emails from the actual faculty member who got 
beaten. Um, her husband. Oh my gosh. Her husband sent some emails out um, talking about her state, and so uh, yeah, just like I mean, we can't forget about it. Partly just because of all the sort of reminders that there's support mm-hmm. available, but yeah, I, I mean, I guess I appreciated that the union was like, our job is to protect faculty from things like this happening again so here are some safety precautions it didn't I need to read the email more closely but it didn't seem like it was a knee-jerk get more police on campus reaction did you did do you remember I mean you got kind of the same email too right yeah no but at the same time it definitely was the answer is more security Mm. and not more mental health um, interventions and yeah. I, I just I don't know this is such this comes up every time we have a non-Muslim do right. anything horrible on, uh, in our country because it's only when I should say Muslim people or black people do something horrible that it's um, stereotyped right. even though we know that it's white men who are the typical perpetuators of this violence yeah. so I always you know it's hard for me to see, read these things with a like an objective lens because I'm always thinking about that. But I was a little, I mean, so the union is great. I've, you know, the union is, I'm so glad that we have a union. And also the answer is more security and making sure our our classrooms are secure. So they were making a big deal on my campus and in the email about how we have locks on our Mm. doors. And I just, I just don't, I, it's never felt, that's never made me feel safer. It's made me feel grosser actually, because I just don't, there's something about just accepting the violence and just being like, well, this is how it's going to be. So we're just going to make your doors lockable. Right. And then one of my students was talking about, you know, that he wished that he could conceal carry on campus to like stop one of these guys. And I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. It's not my expertise, but I just know that I don't like these kind of conversations, like where they end up going. Completely. Well, it's all as usual, as is the sort of whole criminal punishment system in general. It's like, How do we, it's exactly what you're saying. How do we protect people from things that we're just going to assume are inevitable without looking at the root causes of how to prevent? Yeah. And I should, as a, to kind of explain why I don't know a lot of the answers, one of the issues, if, if you're not from the United States, something that people have been talking about a lot is that our federal government will not fund research around gun violence. And so it's very hard actually to get funding to figure out what is at the root causes of a lot of this violence, both physical and and gun-based, to kind of figure out what is the, the, besides being a white man with mental health issues, what is the other, like what else is going on in their lives that that make them respond this way when they're angry. Correct me if I'm wrong, Rachel. No, I mean, I, it's always important to have that caveat that like mental health issues is... They don't all necessarily, it's it's that when we sort of pathologize and equate crime with mental illness, that obviously stigmatizes communities who are mentally ill um, and individuals who are mentally ill. So, you know, if toxic masculinity is pathological or a symptom of sort of patriarchal capitalism, I think is up to debate. You know, I think, I personally think anybody who can kill somebody or beat somebody brutally has some kind of like something in their something I mean this is not my expertise either so I should probably shut my mouth but that's what I was kind of getting at though too with mental health issues it's like it doesn't matter if you're a terror a quote-unquote terrorist or a mass shooter there's something going on in which you like clearly need therapy or some kind of intervention so I say that not to pathologize mental health people with mental health issues but I know that it's hard to separate I guess right it was just kind of like yeah I was saying it but I understand the issue of conflating those things 
Yeah, so just like I guess pointing that out and like the constant debate of like what it means to put it within an indi- the the problem within an individual versus the problem within society, and I think it's both, but just to always sort of contextualize individual quote unquote mental health issues in a society that exacerbates and and encourages and nurtures particular kinds of behavior. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's well said. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. (laughs) What Rachel said, Um, (laughs) y'all. Yeah, so that was sort of a heavy check-in. But other than that thing that happened on campus, um, I am am okay and still trying to enjoy some versions of the holiday season that I managed to like despite all of my politics. Cool. Deck the halls. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Did you see the? Did you see Saturday Night Live? About I did. The, did you see the daddy? The I did. Okay. <laughs> thought our our viewers would like it. It's very gay. Um, it was well. It was the Westminster gay. Daddy Show instead of the dog. It's the dog show, right? That they're making fun of. Or Ex- they're yeah, exactly. Spoofing? Okay, right. Yeah. So yeah, for those of you who didn't see it, it was like people who would maybe be considered daddies by various pockets of the of our culture I guess and um yeah being sort of paraded around like dogs I what I think they missed is like a butch lesbian they needed like a butch daddy and that's why you need to write for SNL or no wait yeah. I need to write for SNL there and then go. you funnel me information or Perfect. like ideas and then I cut you a check for the ideas. Perfect. that sounds great okay I was like you know <laughs> yeah I don't know <laughs> yeah you yeah you would be better equipped for that yeah that was a that was a yeah, I can plant some seeds for you Perfect. to make it funny. <laughs> but it was good. I still, I was like laughing and enjoying it. Excellent. Well, t- uh, speaking of uh, TV shows, can we switch to, I don't know who's ruining the dinner party in this situation, but I would like to kind of frame it around that. May I May I transition to our other topic Please. before we get into the iGen stuff? Please. So, and you and I have not talked about this, so I don't even know how, I don't know where we come down for this. All that to say, why don't I tell the listeners what I'm even talking about? <laughs> and that is, uh, thank you, ADHD. So since we've recorded, the news came out about Kevin Hart and the Oscars. So if you all are not familiar with that or not in the United States, the Oscars is the big film award show here. It's very prestigious. It's very upper class as far as award shows go in this country. They asked Kevin Hart to host pretty much immediately after they announced that people online spat back and were reminding the Oscars that he has said homophobic things in the past, both on Twitter and in his stand-up routines. And then the Oscars asked him to apologize for those remarks, and then he could stay as host. And he did not want to apologize and stay as host. So instead, he stepped down, and then he apologized to the LGBTQ community about his remarks in the past and said that he didn't want to take attention away from the Oscars. And if he remained host, he was worried that that was going to happen, that all the focus would be on him and his politics. And so he chose to step down. And then there's obviously been a lot of think pieces out about it. Um, My students and I talked about it at length. One thing thing that was noted, and I'm just going to kind of set us up with all these ideas, Rachel, and then we can Mm -hmm. break them down. But one is that racialized that black men are held to a higher standard than other people such as white women who have also made Mm -hmm. homophobic statements in the past and aren't held to this kind of standard but then also and also i guess is this kind of conversation about is there there is this conversation about the things that you've done in your past and now a lot of it is stored online for eternity 
you know, do you, is your past then like what you feel and think about and believe in 2018 or whatever year we're in? Because he said he has moved beyond that and he's, he thinks differently about it, whether you believe that or not. It's kind of the issue of the internet past, like never letting you go. Um, and then also just the fact of the, the simple idea of if you say homophobic shit, you're not going to be hosting uh, an award show that has a lot of gay people involved in it, for one. Mm-hmm. I mean, theater is very mm-hmm. queer. And so there's there's all that stuff going on. So wh- what was your take on it, Rachel? Or how do you feel about I, it? I mean, I think, every, I think all of the points that you're bringing up are super important ones and exactly like kind of where my, my mind went as well. I think my sort of transformative justice lens is always a little eager to say we need to give people space to transform and grow. Not only my transformative justice lens, but also like my belief in revolution. Like we, if if we think the world is going to get better and organize for a better world, we have to believe that people can can be per, you know can be moved to have better politics than than they do currently. So that was sort of my first reaction. Then I watched the videos that he posted where he was. He was a little bit motioning to the fact that he's learned and grown, but he was more like, I'm sick of these negative vibes. I'm sick of the tr- internet trolls holding us hostage online. I just want positive vibes. I'm not going to engage in negativity. And that like is a much less compelling argument for me. Like if that's the reason he didn't poly- apologize because he didn't want to be caught up in negativity, I have a lot less sympathy for that. Did you see those videos that he sort of put out in the middle of all of it? I didn't watch them, but I saw that he did post them. Yeah. And to clarify, he did apologize after he stepped down. He apologized to the LGBT community for what he after. said in the past. After. But first he right. said, I'm not going to apologize, and therefore I will step down because yeah. I'm not going to apologize. So, But then he did. But then he did. Um, and I also, I do think it's super important to note the way that white women in particular get a pass and actually I know you're going to talk about I'm sorry I'm giving a major spoiler but you mentioned you're going to talk about Tina Fey later because the fourth wall I'm breaking Google Doc told me so Tina Fey said so much problematic shit and she gets a pass all the goddamn time and uh, we we could we could also bring in recent news Lena Dunham admitting that she lied about having evidence or something some bullshit where she was defending did you see this Mel oh yeah yeah, so, you know, and Lena Dunham Lena Dunham gets a pass, for, not from everybody. I mean, the internet, a lot of the internet hates Lena Dunham, but... Um, do, you want to f- do you want to finish that thought, though, for people who don't know? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Thank you. Uh, so she, basically, there was a black woman who accused somebody that, is it a writer on Girl, who was on Girls or worked with Lena Dunham? Yeah, she was connected to, yeah, basically she supported or she tried to defend a rapist she made up false accusation she made up false information to make it seem like the victim wasn't actually a victim right Right. i guess and she did that purposefully and then had to come back and say i made all that stuff up about the woman who was and it's and so to just i think to give more specificity to it she didn't like actually say here is here's a thing and it's here's this lie she said she had information that she never ended up telling anybody so she didn't actually like formulate the lie she just said she had something which was a lie fair enough yeah so that's I mean that's slightly different whatever I mean that's nitpicky at that point and then she basically put out a formal apology about it so yeah so white women get passes is is the point of that so that's that's not even a coherent 
perhaps thought I'm just expanding on everything you just mentioned. Um, but that's where my brain, my brain went to all of those places. I, you know, as usual, don't think Kevin Hart should be canceled, quote unquote, because we all have shit in our past that we probably are not super proud of. I don't think he handled it the best way. It's also not, (laughs) this is like exactly maybe how these things should be handled. Like, I remember, I, can't, I think it might have been Shani Nicholas who posted, um, some, some astrologer I follow who's social justice said, you know, we're, when it, when, in terms of the Brett Kavanaugh stuff, and obviously Kevin Hart and Brett Kavanaugh are not equatable, but in terms of like calling people out, like not Brett Kavanaugh not getting appointed as Supreme Court justice, it's not even like, that's not even punishment. It's just not giving him a promotion. And so for Kevin Hart not to get the opportunity to host the Oscars, like that's, that's fine. <laughs> like if he did, if he did a shitty thing and he's like not getting a job opportunity as a rich guy, I'm not, I think that's fine. Do you know what I mean? One hundred, Yeah, 100%. I would also, I guess one thing we didn't really talk about the, well, we did a little bit with the white ladies, the race thing. One of my students r- remind, he said this and I, I'm curious what you think about it. He said that, that while he understands the racism argument that black men are held accountable, you know, held to a higher standard, he still said something really homophobic and it really hurt the gay community, the LGBTQ community. And so he was thinking about like what trumps what, sorry to use that word, but, you know, because I think what he experienced was there's a lot of people in color of color in my class that was, that was defending Kevin Hart among, not because of what he said, but because he's a black man and he's held to these standards. And then there's like a gay man in the back of the class being like, um, he said some really fucked up shit, like about his son being gay. If his son was ever gay, like, does that not matter anymore? You know? And so like the conversation got tilted. What, how do you feel about that argument? I think that those kinds of arguments suggest that there aren't black gay people and like makes it about like white gay people versus black straight men and I think that that's and I know that's not what your student was saying either of your students were saying you know your gay student or any of the students who were defending him based on the sort of like quote-unquote race argument but I think that that suggests that and I think it creates divisions where there's been a lot of incredible black in in particular black gay male writers who have talked about the that that false binary like oh black black men think this and gay men think this and that that it presumes whiteness of of gay men and so first I think it's just important to like point out that that kind of argument tacitly presumes whiteness in term like whiteness for for gay the gay community um, which is problematic and so I I just don't think that having an argument about like hierarchy of oppressions and whether race quote unquote trumps sexuality is fruitful because that ignores the intersection of people who are marginalized both both in terms of race and sexuality. Does that make sense? Definitely. Definitely. Okay. I just curious what yeah. you thought about that because he said that after class and I was like, oh mm. all right. Shall we uh transition into our topic du jour? Yes, let's do it. Okay. Digging into some academic research again. Yeah, so welcome back to our academic research talks with Melody and Rachel. I wanted to talk about this with Rachel and on the podcast for many reasons, but one thing I noticed this semester specifically with my students is that they have been doing a lot of research and they're interested in social media. And also there seems to be like a ton of research coming out now about smartphones and how it's impacting our mental health. 
And one of the one one of the research pieces that came out was a book called iGen, Why Today's Super Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood, and what that means for the rest of us. A uh, very clickbaity title, but mm-hmm. <laughs> this book, <laughs> along with a lot of other research, is the basic premise. What all these studies are showing is that the more that we spend on our phones, and especially teenagers, the more depressed and socially isolated we become. And there's a lot of caveats and nuances to that argument. But now I think now that we've had smartphones for almost 10 years, they've been able to do more longitudinal studies and kind of see what's happening over time, been able to cancel out some variables that people would often bring up. And it's just kind of overwhelming that, you know, even my students who are trying to find research on like the positive aspects of social media and the internet, it's becoming fewer and far between to find that kind of research because of the like suck that the smartphones have on our brains. So we wanted to talk about that today. Yes. And I would just echo that my students are also, um, that's, we ended sort of with a unit primarily focusing on social media in a particular lens, like in a media ecology lens. And it's often what my students are most excited to talk about as well. So here we are. Yeah. So maybe what I can do is I'll just lay out her main arguments and her main findings, and then we can pick them apart or discuss them. Does that, that sound okay? Great. great. So, so the, oh, I should have said the author, her name is Dr. Jean Twenge, T-W-E-N-G-E. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And so she, her focus is on studying generations. Like that's like, that's what she does her research on. And so she wanted to do some research on this, what she calls the iGen generation, which is basically, it's like people born between 1995 and 2012. We call them the Gen Z. We call them Gen Z, but whatever you want to call them. So there's these surveys that are taken in the United States in our school systems that are taken decade after de- you know year after year it's the same survey and so by using these the survey data she can sh- she can see like clear changes in generational things I mean, and it's about everything. Like, if we drive, if we go to the movies, if we go to the mall, if we hang out with our parents, like, just everything. And so some of this stuff was also connected to depression. And it wasn't, they weren't even asking about cell phone use. But what she saw, like, looking at this data starting in 2010, you know, if you go from, like, 1980 to 2015, for example, she has all these charts and graphs that show once 2010 hits and all the way to 2015, there's a striking change in teenagers' connection to depression. They're feeling that they're worthless, that their life isn't worth living, that nobody likes them. And it's a striking difference. Even if you look back during the Vietnam War, like other times in which like we've had a lot of turmoil in our society. And so she's making the argument that this sharp change in depression rates and just you know thinking low of yourself is because of smartphones because there's no there's nothing else that change in our society as much as the cell phone rate the smartphone rate especially among teenagers and so amongst her charts and graphs so this is a very quantitative study and so if you're a math person you'll love the study um she she did the caveat that she has is that social media usage or smartphone usage alone does not cause depression and social isolation. So if I'm on my phone a lot during the day, that doesn't mean that I'm more susceptible to depression, susceptible to depression. 
what the difference is, especially with teenagers, is that they're seeing their friends less. And some of this is because they're not getting their driver's licenses soon. They're hanging out with their parents more, which we can talk about because it's very strange. It's very different from our generation. They're just seeking out less independence in quotes, like basically getting away from the house. And then also they're on their smartphones all the time. So they're not going over to their friend's house to hang out. They're not going to the mall to hang out with their friends. They're just staying in their rooms and they're talking to their friends online. But that psychologically, like with us being human beings, is not enough to keep us happy and vibrant, according to Dr. Twenge. So it's the combination of a lot of social media use and the lack of face-to-face peer socializing that leads to the depression and social isolation. Yes. I'm going to stop lecturing That was there. a great summary. Um, okay. Whew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so even though the data shows that, obviously, we're qualitative people, so we love to pick this stuff apart. I know this research really well because I've been reading this book, but Rachel, like as a hearing about this argument for the first time and reading about it recently, like how, what, what's your first, what are your hot takes on it? My initial knee-jerk reaction to any media is like moral panic about media is to mm-hmm. be super skeptical. And also my knee-jerk Marxist reaction is to say it's not the smartphone, it's capitalism. Stupid. That said... I think that the argument that it's not just about the smartphone, that it's about social isolation, is actually pointing to the sort of Marxist argument of alienation. But alienation has been happening prior to the smartphone as well. I'm going to indulge analyzing this more than just writing it off and saying, well, as a Marxist, I think this is it's not important because it's actually just about capitalism. I'm I'm not going to say that. I'm not that vulgar of a Marxist. So, but I'm just giving you my initial skepticism is like, well, first of all, it's not usually media's fault. It's usually capitalism's fault. And second of all, you know, well, I guess those are the two points. So barring that, barring those knee-jerk reactions, I do think this is, it's, it's fascinating research. And I think I have some comments about, there's so much to say. What are your initial reactions? And then maybe we can start. I'm really interested in talking about independence, concepts of independence, concepts of adulthood, um, notions of mental health and depression. So those are all things I would really like to suss through. But do you want to give your initial reactions? I would say my initial reactions are more, um, are less skeptical and more like, oh, I see. Because I've been teaching, as you have too, this generation. And so once I started reading her research, especially about students not going out as much, like it just more than anything, it opened up my eyes to like what this generation is like, because mm-hmm. this is the first time that we've talked about this before. It's our first time that we're teaching a generation that is not ours. Right. So for a really long time, we used to look out in the classroom and it was all millennials and we were millennials, too. And now there's a shift. And so it's been really helpful for me to learn about this generation. Yeah. Also, because my students are saying like, yeah, like this is what's going on. I'm also, you know, I believe it. It's probably the first time that I've seen a quantitative study and I'm like, I believe this very Mm. much so. Um, So I'm definitely a believer and I'm fine playing the believer and you can be the skeptic. And I think just from my personal experience too, like I can see how this can spiral into a really dark place. Yeah. But I would, because I have been drinking the Kool-Aid, the iGen Kool-Aid, I would like to hear your takes on it and then maybe I'll, you know, I might 
shift a little bit, but I think my initial reactions are like, I'm, I'm, I'm down. I've well, drank the Kool-Aid. Well, here's to make this a more productive and generative conversation. I actually have, this is a, a real live proposition for you. There's this book that I've, I've now listened to two different podcasts analyze it and I own it and I still haven't actually read it. So I don't want to bring it in without actually having read it, even though I think I understand most of the argument. It's a teeny tiny little book called Capitalist Realism by this man, Mark Fisher, who unfortunately died by suicide um, a bit back. He's a British thinker. And listening to these arguments, when I've listened to these analyses, um, one was on Revlef Radio, one was on the Vegan Vanguard. It's, it's about capitalism and mental health in a way that I think would actually be really generative in this conversation. Yeah. So, I was going to say, can you say more? Because I wasn't, I don't, I'm not fully clear on how capitalism and social, all that stuff's connected. Yeah. So, so yeah, I would love to hear his argument that you heard on the podcast. Well, it's, I, well, my actually suggestion right now is to say that my proposition is that we have a part two on sort of like mental health in more so in relation to capitalism and bringing in, he's also going to bring, it's going to get theoretical. So I'll, I'll read these quant studies, Melody, about media, if you will indulge me in some theory. He's going to bring Deal. in Lacan and Zizek and think about notions of the real, which I think are actually very related to notions of social media and, and what is happening here. So my suggestion is that I'm going to not be a skeptic for this conversation if we can have a part two where you, we both read this teeny tiny little book that I think we could both get through in like a couple days. Is that a is okay. that a good deal? And then so now we can just yeah. actually just dig into this and I'll put my skepticism aside. Deal? I like fine deal. Jeez. Great. Okay. <laughs> so Forced let's actually yeah, I know. Live on air. You I'm can't say kidding. no. It's like a it's like a public proposal. No, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> I just flash mobbed you and asked you to marry me so that you can't say no. Oh um, <laughs> why do people do that? Okay. Okay, so let's like actually dig into this and assume that like I'm I'm not taking it. I'm I'm gonna like indulge that this is like all real and, and important. And and I actually, I mean, I I mo- I kind of largely agree with a lot of it. Well, you wanted to talk about independence, so let's. Yeah. So she starts her argument by explaining that this generation is a lot less independent. And by that, she means that they're hanging out with their parents a lot more. They're staying at home with their family. If they go to the mall, they go with their parents. Whereas, like, with my gener- our generation, like, my mom would drop me off at the mall. Like, I wanted to get away from my parents. Like, mm-hmm. the goal was to, like, leave as soon as possible. And that's just not what that gen- this generation is experiencing. So that's her t- – that's what she's talking about with independence. And then she links it to, to smartphones. So what's your what's your uh, what's the deal with the independence thing? Like, what were you thinking about with that? I I don't have an argument per se. I'm just interested in like unpacking that because it, mm-hmm. that is also different for me. I was also interested in how they talked about more time with your fa- like. First of all, going to the mall, yes, with your family, but also not even wanting to go out that much at all because you're happy being home. And notions of sort of. Being a homebody, I think in our generation, there were sometimes notions of like, oh, the, the the teen who never wanted to go out and like was like a, you know, a mama's girl or like whatever, you know, was like close with their parents because they're home all the time. And that wasn't always the case. I mean, there's no, but they of, were the nerds, but they were they the were nerds. The and yeah, there was, sure. there's always been teenagers who lock themselves in their room like they want to stay home, but they don't want to be with their parents. But what basically what this author is arguing or this writer is arguing researcher is that even if they're home all the time, they're not like connecting with their family at all. That's for sure that they're just like, they're isolating themselves on their phone. So being home doesn't equate being close with your family. And so that's interesting to me. That's just interesting to me. So I don't even know if I have much further to say. I just think it's, I just think it's interesting. But also along those lines though, 
she was also she also talks about how they're less likely to get a driver's license. Yeah. And so there's also this reliance on the right. their parents or their guardians to take them around. Right. Yes. Yes. And it, it's just such a fascinating take on it because I wanted to get my license as soon as possible to like right. leave. And I think the the author, again, you know, you have to you know, take it with a grain of salt. I think there's some judginess there yes. from time to time. <laughs> but that it's a problem, you know, that so what is going to happen to this generation that like won't get their driver's license and are relying on adults, you know? Right. I think that, you know, it's like learned helplessness. Yeah. And that sometimes we we think we see it in the school system. I know some of the older professors that I work with, like, do not like this generation coming up because they're like, they need reminders for everything. And, they, you know, just these stereotypes that I don't like to um, perpetuate. Yeah. But I think that's part of the, that's her argue her. She has a problem. She's worried about these people that aren't becoming independent beings right away. And it's like, well, what's going to happen to them? Yeah. And so, OK, I, a couple thoughts. First, she she does often say that this is cross. I think you said this, too, in your summary. It crosses class and race lines like that. She's yes. noticing this across yes. class and race. But I do want to push back on there's a Western notion of independence that often manifests in a way that is classed or raced because there is more notions of interdependence and communalness and 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 leaning on each other that I think happens in particular classes sometimes and certainly cultures within the US non non white or rather non western cultures that the now that now live in the US. So that's one thing I want to sort of push back on is like is independence actually a good like a thing we need to be seeking or is that just a totally neoliberal western phenomenon to begin with? But second of all, often I think at least like maybe like 5 years ago there was this big like 13-year-old girls are dressing up like Kim, you know, basically look like Kim Kardashian or like dressing like Kardashians doing, you know, full faces of makeup. Oh my gosh, they're growing up too quickly. But this article is actually arguing the exact opposite, that despite maybe having pictures on social media where they're, you know, looking super hypersexual, you know, whatever that means, they're actually quite young in their, in their sort of behavior. So that was also an interesting sort of like contrast to the other moral panic that happened like five years ago. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And since you brought up gender as well, there, in her research in the data, it showed that girls are more likely to be susceptible to this depression and social social yes. isolation. And she connected it to the cyberbullying that yep. girls are more likely to be victims of. And also girls spend more time on social media. Basically, girls can just, we can't do anything right or wrong. It's just, we can't do anything right. Doesn't matter what we do. It's wrong. Right. Or you know what I mean? Like, or, or to we're a... fucking harmed by it in particular ways. Yes. Um, yes. And... I guess I meant to say that topic is that statement is more about what you said earlier about it's like we're not growing up fast enough or we're growing up too fast. Like, what do you like? What right. do you want? You exactly. Know? Yeah. And, and then also we're cyberbullied on top of it. So right. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think that's super important. It's also really frustrating to have a have a researcher who claims to be studying Gen Z when there's literally data that 75% of Gen Z either doesn't identify within the binary or has a friend who doesn't identify within the binary, and yet she's still talking in binaries about girls and boys. So that's also a frustrating side note. Like, 
And that's the problem with quantitative research. Right. It's because she'll say the data comes back. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But yes. Right. That's why we don't do quantitative work because (laughs) there's not room for that apparently. Yeah. Um, So that's another thing to note that like if we're talking about cyberbullying of girls, like what about gender nonconforming and and non-binary youth? So that's another critique of the study, I suppose. Hi, Killjoys. It's Rachel here popping in with a reminder on some places you can find us on the interweb and how you can support us. So you can always subscribe to us on your favorite podcast application. And of course, you get extra FKJ points if you leave us a review on iTunes. It is a wonderful way to spread the word and gain new followers, and we really appreciate it. On the social media tip, we, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can like our Facebook page, and you can also join our closed community page, Feminist Killjoys Community-WTF Power. We have a Spotify mixtape that you can search out, Feminist Killjoys PhD mixtape. And if you want to support us financially and you have some extra dollars, you could donate to our Patreon or as a one-time thing on our website, just click on the birdie to make a one-time PayPal donation. Patreon donors also get access to the Killjoy Review newsletter. And of course, you can always email us at fkj.phd at gmail.com. Back to the show. I think related to independence, it, it, here's my sort of like queer theory, like obligatory comment. It also talks about stunted adulthood. And she makes this sort of like, we already had Gen X, like Gen X put off having babies and put off getting married and put off having retirement savings. And, you know, obviously millennials don't, you know, will be lucky if any of us have retirement, which I also hate. Here's, okay, I have two obligatory notes. My first obligatory note is my every generation under capitalism has people who can't retire because that's how capitalism functions. There's always going to be people people in poverty in every generation, number one. Number two, putting off adulthood, quote unquote, which is how this author phrases it, this researcher rather, is presumes presumes that adulthood, quote unquote, is a good thing to want to achieve. And there's a lot of queer theorists who talk about um, that being deeply heteronormative, deeply rooted in capitalism, that have, you know, getting married, having kids, um, having a white or, you know, a house with a white picket fence and 2.5 kids and a dog is, you know, notions all rooted in heteronormativity and capitalism. So that to me doesn't seem like, okay, if quote unquote adulthood is quote unquote stunted, is that bad? I mean, the, the, the suicide rates that she's going to allude to and, and suggest is related to smartphones is bad, but is stunting adulthood bad? I don't, I don't know. Is stunting, is not being quote unquote independent bad? I mean, you're not going to be rewarded for it in our Western society, but I don't know that that's what we should be striving for if we're trying to like imagine new ways of being in the world. That's a really good point. And it ties back to your point earlier about how different cultures have different understandings of independence and a lot of cultures, non-Western cultures, you stay with your family a lot. Like it's just expected that you're you're home with your family. So it's definitely very a Western, it's a Western way of looking at how to be an adult. This is just a very blunt question to you about mental health stuff. Are you on board with the fact that smartphones are leading to all this sharp increase in in depression and anxiety that we're seeing in our students? Or do you think there's Um, other stuff going on? I think it certainly contributes. It's hard to not, especially us being at community colleges, knowing that, again, there's always been poor people. Community colleges have always had disproportionately low-income people. But it's hard to not, to isolate 
anxiety and depression as only contingent on social media and smartphones when there's also, you know, a rise in white supremacy, like blunt, blatant white supremacy and, you know, an even more unstable economy than even that, that, that is impacting people even um, more broadly than it, than it used to. And so yes, yes. And also like, it's not, it's certainly not the only thing I don't think. Yeah. And she tries to get away from the the economy thing by showing that the unemployment rate has been has dropped. And so usually we see when unemployment rates go up, then depression goes up. Mm -hmm. But we're seeing the opposite, you know, so she but that doesn't mean that we're not impacted. Even if we have a job, that doesn't mean that we're not impacted by the shitty wages that we're getting paid for. Well, it's also that's because I also think I fucking hate studies that point to who unemployment numbers, because in order to be considered unemployed, you have to be actively looking for a job and registered with unemployment. A lot of people don't aren't a lot. So I've talked about I've complained about this on air before because I was on unemployment. Um, My mom wasn't able to be on unemployment because she didn't have a job that paid her enough money to be considered a worthy enough human being to get unemployment because she because she didn't make enough money to be considered that. So because she wasn't contributing to unemployment, like enough in taxes or whatever, because she didn't make enough money. So in order to be unemployed, there's a very tiny percent of the population that gets to be considered unemployed. And especially when we think about you're considered employed if you fucking drive Uber or work in some sort of the gig economy where you're still making poverty wages. So that I don't I don't buy that that statistic because I just think that that's a you know unemployment doesn't mean being employed doesn't mean you're not still in poverty you know right yeah so exactly anyway okay so but I am interested we can talk we we can say okay I'll I'll stop talking about capitalism I promise Uh, we can talk about like do we another thing that I'm still going to be skeptical but but I think it's worth digging into the idea that social media is, uh, I guess this is a question, especially for us in media studies, we used to play, you know, I'm sure you've played killing, killing us softly in classes before. Oh, my, my, my women students love that. They, yeah, still, I mean, they still find a way I, to watch it. Even if I don't screen it, they find it for research. Or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, killing us softly is this woman, Jean Kilborn, who is a pretty darn solidly second wave feminist doing a pretty shallow, but important analysis of basically advertisements and um, Mm -hmm. talks about this is sort of the era of like airbrushing and, you know, critiquing the advertising industry for the way it perpetuates violence against women and also encourages eating disorders in young girls because we see airbrush models and super skinny models, you know, they Photoshop she shows, you know, you can see the shadow of this woman's waist when actually they cut her waist to be like literally half the size and all of these things. And so for me, I'm like, yeah, we've been living with those expectations way before social media. And Jean Kilborn is sort of a testament to that. But I think the argument with social media and Instagram is that real life humans get to like look photoshopped and it's not just like, you know, when I was in middle school, I was, I do think that we've talked about this, like women's magazines were an influence in, in my beginnings of my eating disorders, along with a bunch of other stuff. But, um, but then I would see my pictures of my friends and we all looked like we did in real life, you know, versus now, um, it's very easy to not look like you do in real life as a, as a normal human and not a model. So do you, I don't know if I agree or disagree that mm. that's so significant, but what do you, what do you think about that? 
Wow. I never thought about connecting the two that now we're Photoshopping. We're basically Photoshopping ourselves. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I think it's an issue because this is like such a shallow response to that, but there's people that actually want to get plastic surgery based on Snapchat filters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it is setting up, I mean, we're just doing it to ourselves now, I think, instead of, and it's probably more fucked up that we do, we do it to our own faces instead of seeing other people's faces that are, or that are, that are Photoshopped. Is that kind of what you're getting at and then connecting the two? Yeah. I mean, and again, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I've never know. thought about it that way. I'm yeah, not, that's smart. I'm not saying necessarily that I, you know, agree or disagree that it's worse or bad or the same or anything. I'm just, it just reminded me because when I saw that, like, notions of cyberbullying and the fact that it's impacting girls, I was like, well, we've always fucking been battered by images in the media. And there's always been, I mean, the movie Heathers is literally about bullying, but not just not online, you know? So, so it's always this, like, is this really new or are we just finding another scapegoat? But, but maybe it is, you, maybe it is actually distinct and harmful in a way that is unique to the way it was before. I'm just thinking out loud. Yeah, that's a. I'm. I'm just gonna leave that as a really solid point because I never made those connections before. But I think. I think our our students who utilize Snapchat and Instagram in that way probably could see some. It'd be interesting to talk to them about it actually. Yeah. Um. Like if they're so because they don't like all the photoshopping, they don't like all the fakeness, you know, mm -hmm. but then they they do that to their own selves. And then they mm -hmm. but then they also say they're very self-aware about it. They're like, and then I compare myself to these people that have perfect lives, but I know they don't have per perfect lives. They're yeah. all staged photos. And but I'm still impacted by it mentally, you know. Yeah. And um, and it was the same it thing. It kind of gets at. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it was the same thing I would think when I would look at models. I was like. I know that they are either literally like starving themselves to look like that and or photoshopped and I would still I still felt impacted by it. I mean it was a similar. There's always like a lot of good teens are really like I think more self-reflective than I think people give them credit for. I I agree. And I think it comes I think now that you know there was the debate up in the air about whether social media was harming us or not and there's all these old fogies being like it's going to destroy you and now there's mm -hmm. all this research that says like yeah it's probably not the best like mm -hmm. y'all are kind of over we're doing overdoing it uh in my textbook that I use it's called the internet paradox where this tool that was developed for us to have communication like now we're communicating with it using it for communication too much and it's mm -hmm. having like an adverse effect on us but now it's interesting to talk to them about how to minimize the effects of it because the answer really is to get off your fucking phone and so while my students will say oh yeah you know i'm you know i get i just compare myself to these people it's not good and then i say well get off the phone then or like stop stop following the people that make you feel like shit and they can't do it yeah. They can't stop. And there are studies that, and this I buy because, like, they literally study, like, brain chemistry and brain responses, like, that it is an addiction in your brain the same way substances are. And that you get, like, dopamine hits when you see oh, oh, yeah, on, mm -hmm, you know, Facebook mm -hmm. or Instagram or whatever. Or I don't know what the equivalent is in Snapchat because I don't, I don't have Snapchat, but I do know that that's what the – I learned from my students that – giving your Snapchat handle is like the equivalent of a phone number these days. Like that, that that's what you give when you like, like somebody. And I didn't know that, but that's. Yeah. yeah. I've gotten glimmers of that. That makes sense. Yeah. I think we've covered a lot of good points. We, did we really dig into the fact that there's less sex and drinking and partying, but more. We depression? didn't. Do we want to talk about, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, 
again, going back to my original statement that it, it was giving me a cool sense of like what this generation is about, mm-hmm. that not to say that drinking, I mean, drinking and sex is fine, but that's what we got railed on. It's like we're drinking too much and having unprotected sex and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Right. So they're like, just for the lack of a better term, they're behaving better, you know, right. for our Quote like unquote. morals that we have in this country. Right. And they're more tolerant. That's the other thing that mm-hmm. we didn't really bring in as well that they're, as I think we all know, like they're just more accepting of people. Like there's yeah. no, obviously there's outliers, but like this whole thing about, you know, gay acceptance is like, it's just like, a, it's not even a conversation anymore, right. which has not always been the case. And of course there's outliers, but yeah. they're just a lot more accepting of people of all genders races ethnicities all that stuff so that's great 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 to know and yeah i mean i think it's like just like every young generation you get critiqued for all this shit and then it's like well how about all this great stuff we're doing so i mean i don't want to say that drinking is bad but it's also not good for teens to do so it's i was just like oh huh well kudos to you like maybe people should be talking about that more but no we have to talk about you being on your smartphones all the time right Right, but it's I don't how is it because they're on their smartphones that they have they're just sexting instead of having sex? Right. I mean, I think that's part of it. I think that's what the researchers are kind of arguing, and that yeah, um, if they're socially isolated, I mean, yeah. How do we build a society where you can we can have sociality, the nurture like the the way that being social and not alienated nourishes human needs without it relying on alcohol, which is. But now it's like, it's like, okay, you're either going to go out and get drunk and be social or you're going to be isolated and alone on your phone. On your and phone, we know there's yeah. middle grounds. Like I didn't drink in high school and I had like, I had great, you know, friend connections and I feel really lucky for that. But obviously that's, it's often, it often seems like, obviously there's a lot of, there was a lot of teen drinking in our generation, of course. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, that's, that's another thing that makes me feel like I want to get to like the root causes of, I don't, I don't even know how to finish that sentence. It just, I just want to get to the root causes of things more than trying to decide if it's good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. I will say something that we didn't bring up here that my students have talked a lot about is conversations, like how it actually impacts their face-to-face conversations. Mm -hmm. And they're also saying that they have a really hard time having like in classes like having small group discussion Mm -hmm. it's like the they hate it because they don't know how to do it and I make them talk about it and they they share it with me and I've even had to like give more guidance like okay and if you end up done then talk about this Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and they just like blow through this stuff and I can tell like I walk around and they're all just sitting there just like staring off into space like they don't know how to do small chat or small talk and I hate small talk but I know how to do it you know like, we have the skills, um, but they tell me that they don't have the skills. Like, they don't know how to do small talk. Yeah. 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 And it's because they just, you know, when you're sitting on the bus, imagine all the times you're in public. If there's downtime, we're on our phones. Right. Instead of just chatting with our neighbor. Right, right, right. In line. So that's another problem. Yeah. I would say. Well, I think we covered a lot of a lot of what she was getting at, and I... And I think it's really worth investigating, even with my skepticism. I think it's an interesting topic. Would you would recommend the full book? So I, I think you said so. It's a book, but and then it was also an Atlantic article, which is the one that I read. Mm, I mean, Captain Butler would like to read the article. <laughs> it seems you he would. He's excited. <laughs> uh, does Captain Butler like Atlantic? <laughs> does Daddy read Atlantic? <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I think the Atlantic article is is just fine. 
Like it because she has those charts and graphs that yeah. show and it, it gets to the point. So okay. reading that it's called has have smartphones destroyed a generation. Yeah, we will we'll link it in the show notes and in the newsletter. And then if you like it, you could rent it from your library, borrow it from your library. There you go. Shout out to libraries. Art of you all. I'm reading my students' final projects. They're coming in. They can do a blog post, a zine, or a video, or an audio project. So I'm excited about that. So I'll be doing lots of that. And I've been learning a lot of things. Great. Such as all the social media research that I've been sh- It's like it was so overwhelming that I was like, oh, we should probably talk about that. Mm-hmm. So shout out to students. I'm watching... I couldn't even finish Baby Mama, but I tried to watch Baby Mama, and all that me and Dakota could focus on was, like, how transphobic the freaking movie yep. was. Yep. What the heck? Yep. I saw it when it came out and similarly sat in the theater and was like, are you fucking kidding me? So transphobic, so intersex-phobic. Oh, Awful. my gosh. Because they kept making reference to um, hermaphrodites, or yeah. what did she call them? Yeah, hermaphrodites, and just... Like being terrified that if their baby was, if the baby was born. Intersex. Yeah. It was so fucked. So fucked like, up. Just wait till you get the part about, to the part about hermaphrodites. I was like, you mean intersex babies? What's the big deal about that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then she said something about like fruity, like somebody was fruity yeah. as in gay. Yeah. Like, is this movie from 1984? Like, what the hell? <laughs> I know. I know. So I know. disappointed. It yeah. wasn't a really good movie, but it was such a big deal that I was like, oh, I have, it's one of those things like, well, I haven't seen it, so I should watch it. She, there was and another stopped. she that came out and then I think a couple years later date night came out with Tina Fey and Steve Carell and there was like a bunch of terrible sex worker jokes in it and it was just she is not she's just like a white lady she's like a white lady feminist who's not that great <laughs> like, and she gets passes yeah, for everything yeah her book was so disappointing yeah. I was like be a fem no yeah you no, can't I know. even do that I know uh anyway white what are ladies. you listening to the new Def Cab album, did you listen to it? I haven't yet, but that sounds like I'll feel very nostalgic and happy. Oh my god, it's so poppy. It's it's really good. It's really Death Cabby. And there's a song about gentrification in it. Oh, cool. Yay, Death Cab. Makes me miss makes me miss Ben Gibbard and yeah. that era. Yeah. I would like to see them live, but their tickets are always like seven thousand dollars. Yeah, that's dumb. By that I mean sixty, but it's about the same to me. We so. did get to see the postal service though together. Yeah, that was awesome. That was I'm really glad. awesome. And, and I feel state. like, yes, yeah, that was really cool. And that was in a smaller theater, yeah. too. Because I once I once saw Ben Gibbard in a Chicago club um, in Shu- Shuba's. Yeah, yeah, Shuba. Shuba's, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, oh, he did an acoustic set before one of his, one of the Death Cab albums came out. So I heard him, like, play um, glove bo- the glove box glove one. Compartment. The glove, glove compartment. Glove compartment, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, like... I heard it for the first time in that club. So Fun. now I'm like, like, do I want to pay right. $70 to see him in a giant theater when I saw him at a club in Chicago? Right. You know, not to brag or anything. But. <laughs> uh, what are you watching? What are you RWLing? Um, I'm reading a bunch of memoirs to as I write my own. And one that I'm, I think I'm enjoying it. It's definitely nostalgic. <laughs> Um, it's called Night Moves by Jessica Hopper, and it's about her life in Chicago, which is actually overlaps yeah, with my life cool. in Chicago. Um, it's good. It's it's very it's it's like diary entries basically. So um, 
it's good. I mean, it, it's, I'm feeling nostalgic and it's like about, you know, she was like a bike punk and went to shows and Aww. rode around the same spots in Chicago that I rode around on. I was even, I was a bike kid in Chicago too. No longer. But so that's, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying that. I'm, I'm enjoying indulging my memoir love. Uh, watching, I'd never talked about this movie, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Which I saw in Cleveland uh, during Thanksgiving. And it's with Melissa McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy um, oh, awesome. Yeah. Did you like that film? I really liked it. Okay, I, I really, really want to see it. I really, really liked it. I recommend it. It's like not the world's best film in the whole world, and I'm sure we could find some problems with it. Like, it's about white people. But I really liked it. <laughs> um, I mean... For example, it's about white people. <laughs> for example, it's about white people. Um, I really, really like... Oh, I, well, I know actually specifically it's about a white person who actually ends up, like, ultimately making money, like... I mean, this is not a spoiler. She plagiarizes letters, including some from women of color. So that is like an actual like pointed critique. But it's really good. At, and it's, I think, a really excellent look at class in in the sort of like creative class realm. So I think it's like a cool thing that people in like the creative gig economy can relate to because like it's easy to be in poverty, but you don't look like you're in poverty when you're like a writer and like living like kind of a glamorous writer life, but you're actually in poverty. And um, also she's gay in it. And so is her, her friend and who, who also has AIDS. And so it's also like a really um, interesting take of um, being queer in the AIDS, in the era of, in the peak of the AIDS crisis. So it's, it's good and it's based on a true story. So I really enjoyed it and she did a she did a great job. So I recommend it. Trigger warning for sad things about a cat. FYI. I My know. therapist cat died. Oh. Yeah. I'm sorry. I missed a session because of that. Oh. Understandably. Understandably, yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's the Oof. worst. I hope nobody's cat ever dies because it's the worst. I know, I know, I know. It really, it really is. Oof. Or dogs or any pets. It's the worst. It's yeah. the worst thing ever. Yeah. And I'm listening to um, John K. Sampson. I went on a really lovely winter walk with my friend TJ, who lives here, who's um, a rad vegan straight edge person that I met in Chicago many, many moons ago and now lives here. And we took his dog on a walk and he brought a little like portable speaker with him. And we listened to um, John K. Sampson, who's the lead singer of the Weaker Thans, who has a really lovely solo oh, cool. album. Yeah, uh, a very pretty like winter, wintry solo album that we listened to on this like beautiful winter walk. And it was just like so idyllic and it was lovely. So I'm in, I'm just listening to more of that because I was really enjoyed that. So yeah. Excellent. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Well, Here this we go. was great. I think th- w- this, we thought we were going to maybe get two more before the new year, but this is probably going to be it, huh? What do we think? Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's, probably it so we'll see you happy next new year. year happy new year we'll try to do i'll probably try to get us to do some kind of like year year something so more soon but happy holidays we as always send our love to people who have a difficult time around the holidays um whether that's christmas hanukkah or anything in between happy winter solstice almost happening 21st and we love you We'll see you in 20, we'll, we'll, you'll hear us in 2019, and FKJ, PhD Power!